Well, we're continuing in the book of Philippians, the all-in. I think this will be the last time we're in Philippians for the year, 2019. Next week, I start my annual series on um, gratitude, graciousness, gifts, Thanksgiving, however you want to look at that, just to kind of get us ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so uh, that'll be a two-part series, and then we're going to be observing Advent again this year. Just a great, exciting thing to be part of. But as we endeavor to move forward in this season of Thanksgiving, I really want to encourage you with this idea of Jubilee. You might be visiting us today, or maybe you haven't heard about what is this Jubilee thing? And it sounds like something that the Boy Scouts do once a year in Pennsylvania or something. What's going on with all this jubilating? And there is a practice in the Old Testament. And for you theologians out there, you're like, well, this pastor's really messed up because we don't practice this covenant anymore. Yeah, but I really like the idea, okay? So the idea had to do with an understanding of God's graciousness, God's restoration, and that the Israelites would practice the idea of resting. And not only that, they would forgive Uh, debts every 49 years there's a little bit of dispute whether it was in the 49th year or the 50th year and that had to do with seven times seven and a bunch of numerological things but it was often referred to as the sabbath of the what the sabbath does that make sense so on the seventh day is the sabbath you rest well every seven years or i'm sorry seven years times seven 49th year And so the nation of Israel would just take a giant breather. Even so much so that in their work, much of what they did was agricultural, they would leave their fields to rest so they could restore. And so there was a lot of what happened in that focus of Jubilee every 49 years that I've kind of been looking and saying, okay, we've been working pretty hard around here at at CBC And in your own lives, you've been working really hard. And maybe for this month, as a church, we stick to that part that just feeds our soul, that just edifies us spiritually, that just draws us closer to the Lord. And so we're practicing coming to church. We're practicing Bible studies. We're staying keyed in on those things that feed us. But all extra work, any extra events, gonzo, dunzo. That's the Aramaic for we're no longer doing it. Okay, so we're giving you a whole month off from from major events or requirements or asks. Um, Please do not associate that with your giving. Just want to be really clear on that. The the Israelites gave more during the month of Jubilee. No, I'm just kidding. So in this focus of of Thanksgiving, right, taking the month of, of November... November always creeps in to steal away December, I feel like. You know, we talk about the commercialism of Christmas and how hard that is and how difficult it is. And so I like focusing on the idea, really encouraging the church body to focus and slow down on Thanksgiving. And we're going to have a time right after the sermon where we're going to allow you to speak to this and how you have seen the teamwork here at CBC or in people around you in your life, maybe your work, maybe your family, and give testimony to that in the spirit of what we're going to see here out of Philippians. So today we're talking about all-in building teamwork. 
Here's a question for you in a lead-off, and you can turn to Philippians 2 while I'm asking this question. How does teamwork result in close to $2,000 in donations to Concord Bible Church this week? Next question. I have experienced in the past four months two very different trips over the North American version of the Dakar 5000 desert stay alive road rally that we call Bailey Road. <laughs> All right? I've experienced two very different trips that speaks to the idea of valuing teamwork and paying attention and not being about my own interest but being about the interest of others and that's a key point today that we're going to look at so the question is i lead out with those ideas and those those teasers is in your own life spiritually emotionally physically mentally how do you measure success when you see something like teamwork and let me go to the first slide today when you look at this idea of building teamwork, we're talking about being all in. The series focus is about being all in. Today, we look at what it means to be all in with support. Do you operate as a team or are you a maverick? Do people say about you, you don't play well with others? Right? Do you love tennis more than you love basketball? You love golf more than you love Brad Walter's not in the room, so I can say that. that, that that's not a disparaging comment. Maybe you just, you know, that, that works that way. But in the kingdom of heaven, the way God has set things up, the way Jesus set things up, He did so that we would function as a what? As a team. As a team. And so for some of us, actually probably for most of us, that's very, very challenging and very difficult but I want you to remember this comment. Look not only to your own interests. You're going to hear it a couple times today. And it really is the key to success. How do you measure success? I measure my greatest success in helping others around me succeed. That's where I get my greatest joy. That Don't you love the idea of if you could peek in at your own memorial service? Come on, how many of you sickos think that way? I really wish I could have a memorial service that I could attend like in the back room, right? And I could actually hear what people would say about me. One of my students died tragically when I was doing youth ministry, and the group of guys that I was discipling, um, Ethan was very, very close to us and died in a car accident, and I'll never forget, we went down to the funeral, and it was a huge church, the memorial service, huge church. Uh, down in the valley in, in um, San Fernando Valley down in LA and I was sitting with my guys and all these people would step up and just say the greatest things about Ethan just the greatest things right because that's what we do at a memorial service and my guys were just sitting in the back just shaking their heads saying are you kidding me that's not who Ethan is or was but that's what we do, right? In that moment, we, we say only the good things about people. That's why I want to go to that for myself. I, I only want to hear about the good things. It's a very short service. Let's get to Philippians 2, 19 through 20. It's an interesting passage because it sounds like it's the end 
of a letter by Paul? Let me point it out. So we're going to be in verse 19 through 24. Let me go back here because I'm going to have to hit the... Actually, Garrett, if you can hit the slide when it's appropriate um, while I'm reading this. And so starting in verse 19, Paul is talking about what it means to be all in as the church. He's giving this uh, letter to the church at Philippi saying how much he commends them for their unity, for their sacrifice, for their service. And he says this, he continues with this thought. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been in distress because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, there's that all again, all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is a tremendous section of Philippians and one that we should not overlook. What's happening here is that Paul takes time to reflect on two of his teammates. And he's reflecting on two teammates that are all in. Now when you heard that or you read along with me, I'm not sure how you perceived what you were hearing. Is it a blur? If I were to give you a test on it right now, could you tell me the majority of what's going on there? Does it even sound interesting to you? Who's Timothy? Who's this Epaphroditus guy? Right? Well, he comes from Greece, so you know, they've got those kind of long 18-syllable names, right? Who are these people, and why does it matter to me, and how is it going to change my life this week? I'm really glad you're asking me all those questions so that I can answer them for you. Well, let's look at it real quickly this morning under this idea of build, build teamwork. So the question today as we look at these two individuals that are part of Paul's team. Now remember, where is Paul? Paul's in Rome and he's in prison. He's been there for a couple years. And he has multiple people that are there to help and support him. Timothy has been with him for a long time. He and Timothy were ones that helped establish this church at Philippi. Philippi was one of the places that sent individuals to support Paul because he was what? He's been in prison for two years. It seems like we're going to hit the panic switch because Paul's ministry is going to the wayside. But Paul spends time telling him, relax. It's working great. 
And the reason it's working great is because I have a team, and you are part of that team. And I have great affection for you because you are supporting me. See, what they did is they sent, supposedly, there, there is good understanding and argument that Epaphroditus was probably an elder at the church at Philippi. And so that church sent Epaphroditus to Rome. It would have been about a two-week journey at that time with financial support to take care of Paul, but not just take care of him, to minister to him and to encourage him. So this is one of the leaders of the church at Philippi. That's who Epaphroditus is. And we'll get into it in a second. But how do we build an all-in team is really what I'm asking us today. Because as I look at the text, this is what I see has happened. We don't necessarily have the diagramming. We don't necessarily have all the history of how Paul got to this point. But this morning, whether you are a grandparent, whether you are a husband, whether you are a wife, whether you are a student, a son, or a daughter, whether you're single, whether you're married to multiple people, no, that doesn't fit. <laughs> I just want to make sure you're not glossing over yet. We're about 10 minutes in and I'm seeing some glossing. No matter what your situation is in life, this is going to work for you today. So pay attention. How do we build an all-in team? Well, I asked you these questions. Change, well, let me, let me move it around to answer the question. Change how you measure success. So I'm going to give you the end of the sermon at the beginning of the sermon. You ready? Change how you measure success. It's my responsibility to put some teeth to that, and I will. Look not only to your own interest, and the part that you don't see there is but look to the interests of others. You're going to see how Paul speaks to that about his team and what makes his team so valuable to him. Take one for the team. Okay, all those who want to leave now, feel free. Now that you know we're covering this kind of territory, you are free to walk out. Um, now, see, what's going to happen is if I say that and someone's got to go to the bathroom, y'all are going to think that that person doesn't, everybody just relax. Don't be anxious, okay? So these are the three components we really want to cover today. Remember, I promised you, you're going to see something out of this passage that just kind of speaks to two individuals, and Paul's saying, hey, they really kind of helped me. How do I get a spiritual encouragement to that? You're going to watch that happen in, under these three applications. All right? How do we build an all-in team in our own life, in our own church, for the kingdom? Change how you measure success. Look not only to your own interests, but look to the interest of others, and then take one for the team. Let's see how that worked out. Oh, lastly, win the small battles and applaud it loudly. Do you know what that even looks like? It looks ridiculous. It looks ridiculous. Next time you actually are able to swallow your food, you should just applaud loudly. And as the people sitting across from you are thinking you've lost it completely, and they're asking you, what are you doing? And you say, I just swallowed my food with no problem. And then they do call 911. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we assume so much. My brother Jim knows exactly what I'm talking about. 
And it's great to have you back here today, Jim. But you know what I'm talking about, don't you? But we just think that's okay. The small battles. I've watched Jim say, I had mashed potatoes today. And I got three bites down, applauding loudly. We're like, yay, Jim. No, we're like, yay, Jim. Brothers and sisters, this is the key to what you need to walk away with today that will change your focus to see you are succeeding. You are not failing. And that applies to you as husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, the whole thing. Let's get into it. Paul reflects on two teammates. Let's start with Timothy. Timothy is our all-in disciple of maturity. Can I just share with you, if you're fairly new to the faith, you need to be discipled in the faith. You need to know how to grow. How many of you uh, have not learned a single thing since you started your job at your job? <laughs> Don't raise your hands. The internet is watching. All right? You know, the reality is we go to school, we, we get our degrees, or maybe we go to trade school, or maybe we, whatever it is we do to matriculate into life and to get into a position at a job that we've thought and we've imagined of, and, and it gives us the ability to have quality of life, whatever that looks like. And so we get in, we know the reality is we kind of just need to get in the door and prove that we can do a job, and we're pretty decent people, but all we need to do is learn the system. Figure out how they do things here and then excel at that. And then you're going to learn more and more and more how to do it better and better and better. This is kind of what we're talking about with discipleship. That yes, there is the absolute statement of faith where we come into relationship with Christ. But it doesn't stop there. And I think for so many of us, we're not interested in being in the Word. We're not interested in learning what it means to be a deeper and, and mature disciple in Jesus Christ because we signed up. We, we, we said yes, and that should be good enough. Imagine buying a car and you got the keys, but you never put gas in it. You never put gas in it. I'm in a process right now because I drive a vehicle by myself, my daily driver, that gets 13 miles to the gallon. Yay! No! You hear my sarcasm, right? My spiritual gift of sarcasm at work there. So I'm, I'm out there and I'm trying to figure out, okay, is there a better option for me? And so there's a particular vehicle I'm looking at and, and they say the engine is garbage and, and it burns oil just automatically. And it was fun to watch this thread and the, these responses because... People are complaining about burning oil and, pur and every thousand miles they have to add a quart of oil and this is ridiculous and it's the worst car in the world and I'd never do it ever again. And yet one person in this thread responds and says, really? How many times do you put gas in it? And you're bugged by putting oil in it once a month? Isn't it interesting how our perspectives are so skewed? And we just say, it's a failure, it's a failure, it's a failure, because it's not operating up to spec of how we interpret it should be. I hope by the end of today, you understand that there is a, a deeper value in winning the small battles. So how you measure success, how you see the team work for the overall benefit, relieves you 
from this overall sense of pressure that you're constantly failing the Lord, you're constantly failing others, and in some senses you feel like you're constantly failing yourself. We have to change our perspective, brothers and sisters, on some of this stuff. Amen? Amen. So let's see what Paul says about the mature disciple, verses 19 through 20. He describes him, and we read it already, as a faithful and trusted messenger. Do you have somebody like that in your life? You know, this is one of the ways to measure, are you succeeding in pouring yourself into someone else? Whether it's at work, whether it's your children, whether it's a a close family member, whether you're a coach, right? And and, and you get your team in early on and, and they're running all over the place. They don't really know what they're doing. But when you see one thing happen that you've been instructing on for a month, and I used to do this all the time. And, and they're just kind of going through their paces and their drills. But somebody finally got it. It clicked. And it's really not that big of a deal. But it is. I would stop everything. And I would highlight. What, what did Jasmine just do? What, what did she just do, everybody? And, and everybody's like, well, I don't know, she, just, she was just doing a drill. No, she was doing much more than a drill. What did she just do? Because it was something she struggled with, she wasn't getting, but suddenly the light went on. And I love that idea. Remember, I already told you, one of the things I loved is watching people succeed. When you put someone into a team situation and they're struggling, they're struggling, but then they get it because you helped disciple them in that, you helped coach them in that. What a great joy. Brothers and sisters, you get this, right? This is what's called life. This is what Paul's talking about. That in the church, we should be reaching to those that are newer in the faith. We should be mentoring them. We should be equipping them. We should be engaging with them, edifying them, helping them learn and walk and become mature like Timothy. Let's look at at how you evaluate this and how you measure this, because this is how Paul did. When he said, I'm going to send Timothy to you guys because he's the best of the best that I've got. And I want to send you my best because you sent me your best. We're all in on this. And so it will cost me something, but I'll take one for the team. I'm going to send you my best. Because he will minister to you. He will encourage you. He will lift you up because I know him. He's mature spiritually. And so he's a faithful and trusted messenger. There are those that you would not put in certain positions as of yet because they're not mature in those positions as of yet, correct? But we have to give in incremental levels. We have to win the small battles. Early on when Paul was mentoring Timothy, I doubt that he would have called him a trusted and faithful messenger. But at this point having done ministry together, having even established the church at Philippi together, and because of Timothy's faithfulness and his demonstrated maturity, he says, I'm sending him ahead without me. I want to go, but I'm going to send Timothy. I can't go. I'm under arrest. I'm going to give you the best of the best because I trust him and he's faithful. Timothy was all in with a genuine heart of ministry. What do we mean by this? Well, Paul uses this word genuine. The NASB does a really good job of describing this uh, better than other translations. Timothy is all in with a genuine heart of ministry. It means that the better rendering is, and, and again, the NASB says this, he has a kindred spirit with me. 
He gets it completely. It's as if I am going personally. And that's why I trust Timothy, is because I know what he will do. I know what he will say. I know how he will minister to you because we are a what? We're a team. We're a team. Can you say that in your relationships? Now, some of us may be saying, whether at work or whether in our relationships, no, I can't, I can't say that because the other person's an idiot. That's right, I said it from the stage. But I'm only saying that I wouldn't talk like that normally, but I know you're thinking it, so I'm just saying what you're thinking. I'm not really saying it. <laughs> it's because of the other person. Do you know by the end of today, I'm going to show you how that works so you can still thrive. Actually, I'm not going to show it to you. The Scripture's going to show it to you. Timothy is being sent as one of Paul's two great messengers He's being sent because he has a genuine heart for ministry. That's what it looks like to succeed. That's what it looks like to build a team. Are you building into your children that which you know you have valued spiritually, emotionally, mentally? Where are your children in their walk and in their efforts? Now, we can build that all we want. Jesus built into 12 guys and he still had a Judas. So we don't measure success based off that. We measure success as to whether or not we're making the effort to build a team rather than just leave our children alone and say, you can figure it out on your own. You can figure it out off the internet. You can figure it out from school. Timothy was mature in a sea of immaturity. Why, why do I have this statement? Because Paul says, he says the following, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now Paul's using a technique of speaking called exaggeration or hyperbole, right? Grammar, 102. Because he had Luke there. You think Luke was a, a, a slough? No. He had Titus there. You think Titus was a slough? No. What he's saying is, I'm sending you the best of the best here. He's faithful. You can put your trust in him. It is almost as if I am there myself. You don't just get there. Paul had to invest and train and disciple Timothy to maturity and faith and that's a statement out of Colossians 1:28, where he's talking to the church at, 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 at Colossae saying how important it is that we make every effort Paul says I toil in this effort to present everyone mature in the faith he had succeeded in building that into Timothy and now he has someone who's mature in a sea of immaturity and some, most scholars think he's just talking about people in general, uh, but he's really highlighting this is the best of the best here. So a great recognition of Timothy's faithfulness, his maturity, his commitment to ministry in the gospel. He also recommends and commends Timothy for being what? Christ-centered in his service. Those that I seek to invest in and, and other pastors we fail if what we do is produce individuals that create a, uh, 
a great kingdom for themselves. They succeed if they build the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? We don't succeed because of just one quick hit opportunity to speak that was powerful. We succeed if the seeds of the gospel and that which will last, that which is Christ-centered, takes root within the heart and then blossoms from there and produces a harvest a hundredfold. Amen? This should be how we disciple, and this is who Timothy was. He's Christ-centered in his service. He has proven integrity, responsibility, and faithfulness. And if you didn't catch it, Paul refers to him as what? Like a son to a father. Have you ever had that relationship with someone that isn't in your family, but you have been mentored by, or you have worked alongside, or there is such a, a level of connection and value that that individual looks to, you look to them as either a son or a daughter or a father or a mother in, this, in the purest sense. Brothers and sisters, this is an example for us as the church to pay attention and say, this is what true effective discipleship is. This is what building a team looks like. So that when, and here, here's the big key point, folks. So as Paul is stuck in a prison, and the whole concern of the Philippian church is he's stuck there, and therefore the gospel message of Christ is going to fail, Paul saw the importance in building a team so that it could go out from what he could not do and the extension of the gospel done in the purest sense in partnership. Like a father and a son. That's how close their connection was. He says, I'm sending you the best of the best. It'll be as if I'm there with you. This is what it means to do discipleship in the church. This is what it means to disciple our own children. This is what it means to invest in those around us that we've been put in that position. And this is what your expectation should be if you need investing in and developing don't shoot low so interesting and and timothy he's going to send later but let's transition to the second teammate epaphroditus because he's going to send epaphroditus immediately and so what's so unique and what's so special and what role does <coughs> epaphroditus fill on this team well he's a committed messenger of support how many of you love being the messenger right you know, if you, you know you don't like it if you, you lead with, I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger, right? But some of you can't contain yourself, right? You know who's pregnant. And you've been told to keep it quiet. But you can't contain it. You can't help yourself. And it just, because you want to bring the joy, you want to let people know, you want, you want everybody to be excited. You love being the messenger. That might be a negative kind of focus on it. but So Epaphroditus was committed as a messenger of support. Remember, the history of him is that he's a leader within the Philippi church. They look and say, things are getting kind of sketchy, and we need Paul out of prison. Or we, we at least need to know what to do from our leader. So they send the best of their best 
in Epaphroditus to Paul. Now what happened with Epaphroditus? He brings from the church support to help carry Paul, but he doesn't just do that. He's a messenger of support, but he's a minister. Paul refers to him as one who ministered to him while he was in prison. How incredible that is. What a beautiful thing for me to hear from the two mentors in my life if I have encouraged them. And it's unsolicited. I don't, you know, beep, boop, bop, bop, beep. Hey, how you doing there? And uh, what, what is it that you would say are the top three things I've done for you lately? Right? As opposed to unsolicited being in a large group of people and the individual standing on a stage and mentions me or my wife or one of my children by name and says how great. We received a phone call, or actually I called a friend down south, uh, was talking to him two nights ago. They said, you know, your son, did he ask for my number? I said, no. He said, well, your son called me out of the blue a couple weeks ago to thank me for something that I did three years ago. I said, that was incredible. You know how great it is for me to hear that about my own son? Unsolicited? That's what Paul's saying about Epaphroditus. That's what Paul's saying about Epaphroditus and how uniquely gifted he is to the team and how he cannot forward the gospel or minister to the church at Philippi without Epaphroditus. By the way, Epaphroditus was all in. They sent him, you would think he's going back. But according to how the Greek lays out, when Paul says, I'm going to send you Epaphroditus, he doesn't say, I'm going to send back to you Epaphroditus. It's a fascinating idea that, that they sent him to be with Paul till the end, whatever was needed. And so Paul says, I need to, I need to replicate, I need to mirror that same love by you guys and send him back to you because I know you're worried. I know you heard he was sick even to the point of death. And so I'm going to send him back to give you a message. Even before I send Timothy, I'm going to send him back because he's a messenger. He's a great messenger. That's part of what he fulfills for our team is he's an encourager, but not just a messenger. He's a minister as well. He ministered to me. He cared for me. He lifted my spirits when I needed it. Thank you. Thank you for being part of the team. By the way, is Paul out of jail yet because of Epaphroditus? No. Is Paul in any better situation because of Epaphroditus, physically or, or contextually? No. Spiritually, yes, he is. But how we may measure success, remember I told you that's one of the things we're going to look at today? One could look and say, hey, we sent Epaphroditus and Paul's not out of jail. We failed. Epaphroditus, you failed. Is Paul saying that Epaphroditus failed? Absolutely not. But so much of the time, we have the highest echelon as the goal in our mind of how we measure success that we miss all the wins on the small battles. And my encouragement to you today is what Paul is demonstrating through these few short statements is the celebration of the small wins is key, absolutely key, to building a successful team. Let's keep looking at what this gentleman does. He's committed to go the distance. It's fascinating. We've got Veterans Day coming up. Any veterans in the room? Okay, so when your CO told you to do something that you thought just didn't make a whole lot of sense, 
you were able to submit a report, uh, get it signed off, and change his mind, or you, got, you were able to just do what you wanted to do, right? That's how that works? No. But in life, outside of that construct, we say in our relationships, in our work, whatever it is, well, I think this person's making the wrong choice. I'm out of here. I don't think this person treats me the right way. I'm out of here. I'm not respected the way I should be. How many veterans, like, you know, my CEO doesn't respect me the way I should be respected. I'm out of here. But this is where our culture is. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom cannot thrive in the sense of teamwork if we do not go the distance. Amen? And that is what Paul is speaking to. The unity of the church is dependent on the idea that Paul says, and this is why he says Timothy was so different. I'm going to go back a little bit. He says, Timothy is one who will not look to his own interests, but he will look to your interests. Now, he talks about Epaphroditus even going the distance to the point of death. He would not leave Paul, and he almost died because of it. To be commended. To be commended. What else about Epaphroditus? Well, he's recognized by Paul as a fellow brother, which means believer. All right? So we, we should start at that point in time when it talks about the team. The team that we're talking about as the church consists of those who just start out at, at, at the base, at the foundation, right? Boot camp. Veterans, the idea that we have signed up, that we are in, but we may not know everything. We've got to go through what? We've got to go through basic training. And so we start with this idea. Paul starts with this idea. In order to be part of the team, you've got to be a believer. You've got to be a brother. And he recognizes that. Secondly, he says he's a worker. He's a fellow worker. He says he owns a part of what I do. That when you see Epaphroditus, you see me. There are many leaders that we know in our world around us that will not recognize the people that support them. Right? So how do we do that in our own world? How are we doing it supporting those who support us? Because it certainly builds the team rather than tears it apart when we do that. When we take the time to recognize. I used to coach in the, in the early 2000s and I loved coaching at the level I was coaching at. And at halftime, we always had a rule. The first 10 minutes was the, or the first five minutes was for the team. The coaches didn't speak. And everything that they started with was about recognizing what somebody did well on the field. And then after we got done with that, it's personal accountability. What did I miss? Where can I be better? How can we adjust? So that we are a better what? Team. Once that was out, and the team recognized those things, then the coaches came in with the X's and O's. It really helped our team thrive and care for one another. And they were willing to go the distance for one another because they knew that they cared for each other. But you have to foster that environment. How are we doing at that in our own families, in our own work situation, in our own ministries? Building teamwork. How is teamwork being lived out 
Well, so I've been hitting you with this the entire time. At work, how are you being part of a valued uh, aspect of the team that you're on? When was the last time you applauded for the simplest thing that your teammate or your fellow workers were doing? You know you can change an entire work environment if you just become that voice. You can change the entire culture if you just become that voice. And I guarantee you, if you do those small incremental wins, your life will change. Your life will change. You'll see things differently, even though things are bad. Let me make a point in case to this. Many of you are warrior fans. Last week I was talking to somebody at our fall festival, and I thought they were the biggest Warriors fan in the world. And they said to me, oh, I'm done with this team. I've moved on. And I said to this individual, actually, I'm more excited about this team than the past three. Because these guys are willing to go the distance. They're willing to take one for the team. They function as a team. There are very few egos left. Versus an individual who was interviewed by the media last year and when asked a very simple question, his comment was, you know who I am? I'm Kevin Durant. And that was his response. Is that operating as a teammate? Is that taking one for the team? And now we start hearing about how toxic the environment was there. It, it may be amazing how they got to the championship runs, and obviously that's the biggest echelon, right? And if we don't, you hear this all the time in sports, if we don't get the championship, it's a failure, right? It's my joy to watch this team right now every night because I think it was Tuesday night, they had nine guys left. None of them were on the team last year. Over half of them were rookies. None of them had ever played together. And they're playing the Western Conference, the other team from the Western Conference Finals last year and they won but it wasn't whether they won or not because i was more excited to watch the three other nights that they didn't win because they didn't give up because every once in a while they succeed at something really good and they smile there's joy behind what they're doing and you know what the true essence of what i want you to walk away with today is in the midst of failure how on earth can you smile Paul is stuck in a prison, but he's what? You can hear it in his words. He's smiling. Many of you are stuck in prisons. How can you smile even though you're in a prison? By winning the small battles and recognizing them. Not saying it's all or nothing, right? But in incremental steps, recognizing Right? Paul couldn't have it all, but he could have some things. And with what he had, he did a really good job. And then when he saw the change that Christ had in individuals and people, and he saw that growing within the, the hearts of others, he saw the success. And he was overwhelmed with joy. We hear it all through this letter. All joy. Consider it all joy. And on and on it goes. So it worked. How is teamwork being lived out? What about at home or close relationships? 
Well, but pastor, this person's so unreasonable. Just ask my wife how unreasonable I am. No, don't. You're all wondering, she's not here, so did, you know, did I do something? She, anyway, let's just keep moving on. What about here at CBC? In a moment, we're going to give you the chance to recognize and talk about how you see the team working. And we really saw it at work last week. What a joy to preach this today and be able to say, look at how the team is working. There wasn't just one person making last week happen. There isn't just one person today making things happen. Number one, Christ is making it happen right? Timothy's focus, Paul's recognition of he is going to come to you with the essence and ministry of Christ. Christ is central to everything he is doing. This is how we want to train people here at Concord Bible Church. Because when we get to the kingdom of heaven, we want to see the harvest. We want to see it happen full fold. No matter whether we win the championship today, in this hour, in this moment, through the power of Jesus Christ demonstrated over and over and over in Scripture and in my own life, I can assuredly say with all determination, I will run through that wall. I will take one for the team because I know that we can win small battles. The war is up to Him. And we know how the war ends in the end. Right? So here is our theme verse for this year. And in closing this morning, there's a couple things I want to utilize from our theme verse to help wrap up this idea of how do we succeed at teamwork? How do we change our focus and mind in, in measuring what success looks like? How do I smile in the face of adversity? According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Wow, that sounds pretty good, right? Right? That should command a $40 million contract over six years, being a skilled master builder. But someone else is now what? Building on it. Think when Paul wrote this, he might have been thinking about Timothy or Titus or Epaphroditus. What a beautiful statement to this. Yes, God did this work, and I've spent decades with Him working in me, and I've sacrificed, and I've run through walls, and I've taken things for the team, but that would stop with me if I wasn't about teamwork but because the church is all in on teamwork you sent me Epaphroditus I sent you Timothy and we're able to win small battles and because of that even though I'm not released we can smile and have joy all joy for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is who Jesus Christ at CBC, we do not preach, we do not teach, we do not participate in the effort to make you better Amway salespeople or for you to accomplish a summa cum laude declaration on your college degree or for you to get a promotion at work or to get written up in the... Do we even have a newspaper around here? The Clay Cordian, Right? That is not our agenda. Our agenda is to equip the saints so that you may be mature in the day of Jesus Christ. And so that the kingdom of God will, will result in a, 
in a bountiful harvest and that we take the light of Christ into a dark world. I can only take that light so far, but if each of you take that light, think about the proliferation. Incredible. If, any, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. You know, there's no greater understanding of this than when we place that trust into other people, that team, and all of a sudden something happens that we didn't have our fingerprints on, and we see a win because of somebody else that's part of the team, oh, how great a joy that is. Amen? That's what we want to be about here at CBC. How do you smile in the midst of failure? Well, we take this instruction from Paul. We look at the character of these two individuals that were part of Paul's team today, and we learn, do not look merely to your own interests, but take one for the team and recognize the small, incremental, daily wins. Then thank the Lord for those wins over and over and over. All in. Mind, unity, love, and Christ. So I led with a question. How does teamwork result in close to $2,000 in donation to Concord Bible Church? Yesterday afternoon, I, I was loaned a truck. My wife was loaned a truck because we don't have trucks. And we're still trying to finish this build project over here. And so we drove trucks into Orinda. Have you ever tried to drive a large truck up into the hills of Orinda? That'll give you faith. And so my wife, through her business, uh, she's a seamstress. And so she has been teaching uh, the children of this one family for six years now. And they had some very, very nice furniture that we needed and we would have had to spend money to build out and finish our project over here. Not only did they donate that furniture to us, we couldn't have picked up the furniture if people here at the church didn't supply the trucks and other people weren't here waiting for us to help offload those materials. And now we have something that will serve us very, very well that we didn't have to spend a dime on. Small win. That same family contributed money through a grant that enabled us to purchase this piano when we had no ability to purchase a piano. Small wins. My biggest win yesterday for the team has to do with Mini Cooper and that wonderful experience of driving on Bailey Road. Four months ago, we were coming home from Brentwood. I'm sure I had an excellent time at my brother and sister's house. And I'm driving the Mini Cooper, which is a visual nobody needs. And... Um, we're coming over Bailey, and I just want to get home, and it's a zippy little car, and my wife is like this, you know, because she loves her car, and, and I can tell she wants me to slow down. She's saying in her mind over and over, she's probably even praying to the Lord that I would slow down, that the Lord would convict me to slow down. Finally, she says something, and I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, right? Babe, you're going a little fast. Babe, I've got somebody right on me. I know what I'm doing. Now, we have like a seven millimeter clearance on that car. Put me in the car, we have a .1 millimeter clearance in that car. And I wasn't even going that fast in my defense, maybe 40. 
1,000 miles an hour. And uh, we hit a new bump, and that parlayed into a wonderful discussion going down the backside of Bailey between my wife and I. And I was not looking to her interests. I was looking to my own interests. I just wanted to get home. The next day, I opened the door into the garage, and there's an interesting odor. It's a mechanical odor. And then I look, and it looks like a murder scene from CSI underneath the Mini Cooper. There is a dark red pool of fluid flowing out from underneath the Mini Cooper. I had smashed the transmission pan in my efforts to get home. $500 later, I learned the value of teamwork as once again I was traveling over Bailey Road last night. And we were both reminiscing without even saying a word to one another. <laughs> and so this time, having gone over this message in my mind, I was thinking about teamwork and how I can look to her interests and we're going really slow, and I've got a line of seven people behind me I could care less about. I am not going to hit a pothole, and part of it is for my wife's joy and winning the small battles. The other part is I don't have another $500. And so then she starts talking to me, babe, I'm just so proud to be your wife. And I'm like, what? I mean, I know this is important, but it's not that big of a deal. She goes, no, no, no. When we were meeting these people today, it's your first time meeting them. And just the way that you connect and you're a Christ-like example. And, and then, you know, my best friend's boyfriend was over getting some stuff. And then you're engaging with him. And it's just such a joy. And see how she's building the team? And so I lost my focus and we hit a bump. <laughs> I got so excited and there was so much. I lost my focus. Oh, wow, that's really... Boom! <laughs> Babe, wake up! Focus! <laughs> okay, sweetheart. Okay, let's get back on target. A small win. A small win. You know, it's not like my wife posted it on clay cord. She just did a great job, honey. You swallowed your mashed potatoes today. Do you understand what I'm saying? How do we build the team? We learn how to smile in the face of failure because we recognize the small wins. And we have to make the effort. We have to sacrifice to acquire those small wins. But the beauty of it all is that we're not alone. Jesus is in all of that mix and does incredible things in the midst of it. Amen? Amen. You're going to see that lived out in just a minute. Let me close in prayer, and then we're going to have just a time of focused prayer. I'm going to give you some instruction right now. We believe in prayer here, and sometimes we just don't give enough time to it in the service. I'm going to give you time now. And I want you to take the time to focus and just pray quietly over those areas that you see the Lord working in through and around you with this idea that's presented to us out of Scripture about teamwork. Where is it the Spirit would lead you to be a better teammate for the cause of Christ? Where is it that you can help the team for the cause of Christ? Where is it that God can work through you 
or has been working through you, and therefore you give praise to him in this time of focused prayer. This is what it means to celebrate and to have thanksgiving. Let's just have a moment of quiet, focused prayer for yourself. Let's go to prayer. Father, we recognize your hand at work all around us. And because of that, we can smile in the face of adversity, just like Paul, who can sit in prison for two years and say, I consider it all joy. In my remembrance of you, the church, and how you sacrificed as part of the team to support me and to care for me. Because this is the example of Christ. The example that your son set for us in his earthly ministry. That through his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can demonstrate this as faithful teammates like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Help us focus, Lord, on those small incremental wins in the midst of the battle so that we see success even when others may see failure. Thank you, Father. Amen.